Welcome to Book Shambles. You're listening to an abridged version of this episode. You can listen to the full uncut edition of this episode if you become a Patreon supporter of the show. And that's for as little as $1 a month via Patreon. And uh, you can support us. So just go to patreon.com forward slash. I still say forward slash. I'm I'm nearly 51. Thank you. Uh, Forward slash Book Shambles for more info and how to pledge. Hello, producer Trent here. Welcome to Book Shambles and welcome to uh, a few episodes in a row with Robin hosting solo. Uh, Josie was meant to be with us for the next few episodes, uh, but the night before the recording date, when we had the studio and everything sorted, she ate some bad prawns. So that, uh, that put her out of action for the recording day. But she'll be back in a couple of weeks, so don't stress. So for this episode, Robin is chatting to Connie Huck, who joined us at Nine Lessons back in December and is now in the studio to talk about her book, Cookie. A reminder, we've got live shows coming up at the National Maritime Museum, a book shambles and a science shambles. So check out the National Maritime Museum website for that info. And obviously on the ocean theme, we will be doing Sea Shambles at the Royal Albert Hall, May 17. Tickets for that available from the Cosmic Shambles and the Royal Albert Hall website. Thanks, as always, go to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash bookshambles. Uh, We say every week the show wouldn't exist, can't continue to exist, may not continue to exist without your support on Patreon. So if you can spare a dollar a month, get extended episodes every week of the show, head over to patreon.com slash bookshambles and pledge. We have done over 200 episodes of Book Shambles now and we greatly appreciate your support and we'd love to keep making it. We enjoy making it and uh, we enjoy that you enjoy listening to it. So that is the way to make sure it continues to be in your ears each and every week. Now on to this week's conversation. Here is Robin and Connie. Hello, welcome to Josie and Robbie's Book Shambles without Josie. I'm afraid Josie uh, has sent a sick note. She's not very well uh, today. And uh, I would say, you know, we wish her well. But by the time this goes out, she should be well. In fact, if she's not well by the time this goes out, there's something serious. Well, let's not even... Oh, man. But it's better to talk like that than if I say I'm sure she'll be well soon because dramatic irony will then mean that she'll, you know, die of some weird plague. So anyway, uh, I'm not Josie. And uh, I'm joined by Connie Huck, who we talked before about your uh, new book. We talked about it on stage. We did, the, indeed. Uh, with uh, lots of kids, uh, a lovely audience of, of, of children watching various experiments. So let's, we'll start off. We've ditched the kids this time. Yeah. yeah. No audience. This no is, audience. You can say no what Josie. you want now. This is like stripped back. Yeah. It's, do you know what? It's a sense of freedom, I think. Nice. Um, this is, right, so... Why did you want to write a kids book? This is uh, about the relationship with the most annoying boy in the world. It's about the desire for a kitten. It has so many different things going on in it. Cartoons. Uh, science. Cartoons and science. Yeah, Knowledge. I was going to get to science as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of... So why why was now the time to write this? Um, during my uh, long tenure on Blue Peter, we started up the Blue Peter Book Awards. So I was often on the judging panel for the book awards. I interviewed many of the greats, J.K. Rowling, Jacqueline Wilson. Um, As a child myself, 
when I after I found my gateway book, I was an avid reader. I was a reluctant reader before then. What was your gateway book? My gateway book was actually Super Fudge by Judy Bloom. Oh yeah, yeah, which is actually a sequel to Tales of the Fourth Grade Nothing. But um, it was in primary school when we had free reading. We had to pick a book off a shelf. And I really wasn't into sort of books without pictures in. I just thought, hmm, words. <laughs> and I picked that up, but it just drew me in. I, I remember even in the first sort of in the opening scene or very early on, uh, this kid is in the kitchen with his mum. She's chopping carrots to make food and then she drops the bombshell that she's having a baby and he's been chewing on the carrots she's been chopping and he spews out little bits of carrots across the kitchen and I remember it just spoke to me I thought this is how grown-up books are written you know it felt like it was written such that I could relate to it and it wasn't patronizing it wasn't a kiddie book and it you know it was grown up to me because it was my sort of first book without lots of pictures in um, so I'd say that was my gateway book. It's funny because I think I was similar in terms of uh, I liked comic books, cartoons, picture books. Then mm. I didn't really yeah. read properly, even though I was a house full of books and I yeah. was always reading something, but mm. it was probably involving Doctor Who or 2000 AD comic or whatever. Yeah. And then once I was able to read proper books... So yes. there is a kind of, there was a period, and I think that's not, because some some parents get very worried. I think, like, oh, my child's not reading enough. And I go, mm. do you know what? If they're reading anything, and I do think this there is a point really where true. it does not matter, that bit of going into your mind and being able to have that kind of uh, isolated time of just, just doing, whether it's reading 2000 AD, whether it's reading whatever it is. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. And actually, I was funny, I was doing a book event yesterday with the CLP, which was saying exactly what you've just said in a nutshell, in that lots of schools even, but lots of, uh, even the DFE actually, there's a real snobbery about sort of comic books and sort of books with pictures and funny books compared to sort of literature. And we're talking at like key stage two levels, so not even sort of going up older. And that is so wrong because it can put children off reading mm. and you want them to get to the point where they can read the books with just the words but if they don't have that transition maybe of going through the books that they want and that they choose and they're just getting books foisted upon them sometimes they'll never get to that they showed a really interesting um bit of film where they were just talking to this kid in a school and they were asking him, like, what books do you read? What books do you read at school? And his school has a system, a colour coding system. So you can only pick books of the colour that you've been coded to, which is obviously your reading level. And then they were asking him about what he liked reading at home. And it was interesting that some of the books that he liked reading at home, he wasn't allowed to read at school because he wasn't at that coding level, the colour coding level, in which case the school is st stunting his progress. Because you want kids to be reading books above their level so that mm. they're taking it in and they can aspire to it and they pick it up again and again and more goes in. And it's essentially sort of the same thing as dumbing down by doing that. But anyway, sorry, I've... I've no, no, I think it's all... Because I, that whole... There are lots of problems at the moment. I mean, underfunding is also... I, I know oh, various yeah. schools and friends of mine who work at schools where they now have a problem where a lot of their book collection they kind of have to get rid of because they are so outdated and they do have what you would consider to be outdated values. And I know in one way you kind of go, oh, 
well, no, but they're books. They're better. But yeah. you go, actually, some of the ones from the 70s and 80s, things really have moved on. Yeah. And our attitude to having, you know, the, the, the number of, like my son doesn't care whether the hero is a boy or a girl. It's of no issue. I mean, in fact, that was something that was He'll a bit like sad. like my book. Yeah. It's the, well, in fact, do you know what? He's just because he's he's twelve now, oh, and okay. and he has he has he's, he enjoyed it. He went he went through it because yeah, he's... he's also one of those ones he doesn't really care. I, th- I think all of these kids when they were nine years old, they read all the Harry Potter yes. books. A lot of them. So they've already read big books. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it doesn't matter now if they're just reading, you know, whatever. I think I like the idea of, of going back and forth and not. But when we were watching, I took him to see Little Women the other day. And mm. I think things like that, where to me it's sad that at the screening, the person who introduced it actually said, um, oh, it's nice to see that there are some men here today. That's the first time this week. And, and so, that's flagging it up, isn't it? In but a way. it's also just that thing where you go, wow, Little Women, which is an incredible film and an adaptation of a classic book, but a, a classic book which I've seen very few men talk about reading. But it reading. doesn't surprise me. That's what I would have expected. You know, and you know, and I know we're going off on a tangent now, but there's so much institutionalised and very subtle bias towards sort of things that are deemed gender-specific... And it's sometimes so subtle that even really right on people don't notice yeah. that they're doing it. Um, and, you know, so I hope I did try to make it a book that would appeal to boys as well as girls, um, because uh, a lot of people actually don't realise that Cookie is a girl when they first pick it up. And it's got boy in the title. And she is a sort of she's always in trousers. She's not a very girly girl. I hate using that phrase um but you know it was sad to me that you know jk rowling called herself jk rowling because she knew if she put joanna on the book it would alienate lots of boys back then um and you know girls read about harry potter you know and that wasn't a problem but you know it needs to cut both ways really if we want equality in society we have to start young well, yeah, it's just that simple thing of saying, "Oh, look, this one the hero's a girl, and this one the hero's a boy," and this is, and it's because when you still get people going, "Well, I'm, it's, it's the new Star Wars movies," I mean, they've gone with the cultural diversity, ridiculous, ridiculous, and you go, "Well, if you're if that shows how there's still not enough because yeah. you noticed it." Well, that's and if the you thing. Notice it, yeah, and if that... you notice it, it's that, that's absolutely right. And I remember um, being at primary school, um, very young, and hearing on the radio in the car I think it was a woman's voice on the radio and thinking I didn't know women were on the radio because I'd only ever heard men up until that point you know and you have to sort of hear the first one to realise it's the norm you have to have the I don't know the tokenism or whatever to break to the point where you just don't notice because we'd never comment on someone's eye colour or mm. some you know any so many things that define a person we don't think about you know oh that person's got I don't know big ears or whatever I don't know but it is just another thing that defines you sort of your gender your ethnicity but there's so many things that define us you know and that's what enriches enriches the melting pot of life the diversity within it but I think Cookie is uh uh She's a very vivid character right from the start. I mean, it's a yeah. lovely kind of, you know, the, the 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 way that she speaks, the way she takes her in the story, the way she talks about, her, you know, the, the desires and her her working out. That's what I like. I like the way that she kind of, as she's working out what kind of pet, and hang on a minute, I've just realised those birds are not a good idea, and all of those different things. She's very sort of methodical, isn't she? She's very yeah. logical and very practical, and 
I think because she is a science, you know, she's a science lover. So she's got that side to her. But then she's very creative, as you can see, like the pictures of her head thoughts and her mind and how she extrapolates things to the extreme or sees the absurd in everyday life. And growing up, I was always asked, you know, are you an arts person or a science person? And actually, I'm both. And you can be both. And she's both. And I've, yeah, I've tried to sort of flip reverse sort of stereotypes as well in that I'm trying to, you know, it, when I was growing up, sort of science was not cool. Mm. And even now, you know, female scientists, you know, only 12% of engineers in the UK are female. It's just absolutely shocking. Um, and girls going into, you know, science is still really low, despite, you know, all these efforts to sort of change things. And I do think you have to start young. Science is often an alien thing to kids until they get to secondary school. Mm. But the younger we sort of subject kids to stuff the earlier it starts filtering in and so it's not some sort of weird concept that is sort of foreign to you by the time you get there well i think yeah that idea of the division and i think that's what again with cookie which is so much part of science which i think even now you know when they do those tests of children pressing on the picture that they think a scientist and it, it's still mm. generally and you know an elderly bald man in a white coat with kind of crazy hair yeah um but it, also i think there's a lot of people who still see science as being just this kind of methodical collection of uh of calculations and that's it Yes. And they don't see, like when you were mentioning there, the absurdity and things like that. That's yeah. part of what drives oh, gosh, science. Totally. Is, wow, that seems absurd. How can that work? Yeah. And when you when you sit around with scientists and you see, the again, the vivid nature of their imagination, it's not just well, going, that's the we thing. better science start counting now. Science is really creative because science is always pushing the boundaries. You always have to rethink. You can't just take things as a given because nothing is a given. And that's the thing, whereas people don't see it like that. But it's kind of so creative. You know, people think of just, I don't know, being an artist or working in the media as creative, but science totally is. And I hope kind of, you know, the book helps to sort of show that in some ways. Um, I've tried to put in loads of things like Venn diagrams and bar graphs and there's a dichotomous key and all sorts of things like that, but relate them to sort of fun, relatable things and it's yeah I just hope that it can yeah draw kids in and you talk about the stereotype of the bald man in the coat but it's funny but um there was an extract from a book read and it's a kid's book um at this book event um and it's a sort of stereotypical Asian corner shop owner or whatever but the point was sort of the humor was poking fun at the character sort of mildly racist tropes you could say or whatever but what was interesting is that kids don't recognize those stereotypes mm. it's us so it's you you know when you're saying about the dad saying about star wars and getting annoyed at so and so or the bald scientists or whatever those stereotypes are only perpetuated through the adults because the kids don't know that you know they only know what we subject them to so to get rid of those that's you know the job that we have to do through how we parent them and bring them up and what we expose them to. So when you were when you're working on Blue Peter, mm. how much did you come directly up against that kind of you know in in terms of what the adult audience expected you were meant to be teaching kids? 
and actually what the kids wanted. Did you see that kind of division where you would suddenly get criticisms for certain things? Think, well, that's very much the criticism of an adult and their values. You know, one thing that did stick out to me, and it might have been because what I was in my early 20s at the time, but, you know, Blue Peter is sort of perceived as sort of straight and, you know, um, very, you know, dependable and sensible and all of this stuff. But also sort of with that, people can sort of, you know, poke fun at it for being square or whatever. But Blue Peter was ahead of the curve because Blue Peter was woke before woke was a thing. And, you know, now it's all very trendy to be woke. And, you know, we even have this term woke, which I remember not even knowing what it was once upon a time. But you know, so they had a garden for people that were in a high rise, you know, that didn't have their own garden. And, you know, I was the first, uh, you know, British Bangladeshi presenter, as, uh, you know, as the media loved pointing out. And, you know, we had appeals for, for instance, the Spastic Society, which then had to become called Scope because people were poking fun at the whole Joey Deacon thing. Well, if you remember so that. actually, even when you were doing it, a word like Spastic, the spastic it was still called the Spastic Society. No, so that was actually before I my time but it's just an illustration of how they were sort of PC before PC I mean you know comic relief and children in need and all of that stuff you know it it all was subsequent Blue Peter had appeals Mm. for years and years and years doing all this stuff you know so actually I think that everyone's caught up with Blue Peter in a way but they were sort of right on from the beginning but in those days it sort of wasn't as cool to be right on you know and even like you were saying you know you look at books like I don't know the Wimpy Kid books for instance the first book in the series um you know um because my seven-year-old is a big fan it's like the fit girls in high school blah blah and you think actually that was written 10 years ago before I don't know me too or whatever you know so much has changed um, so those old books that they're chucking out in your son's school, did you say it was, you know, I can, I, I kind of get it. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing. It, it's intriguing to me, the speed of change in terms of when you go, cause it used to be quite easy. To, well, I suppose part of it now that I'm 50 is when I look back at the things from the seventies, when I was much younger, they mm. seemed antiquated mm. and it's merely that time now moves a lot quicker in my head because I'm 50. So but actually it's go, not just that it is progress as well, isn't it? If you think about for millions of years, we were just hunters, gatherers. We didn't progress very far, did we? You know, for years and years and years, there wasn't much change. And then these fundamental things happen. For instance, I don't know, settlements. So us being able to cultivate crops, instead of being on the move the whole time but then that brings with it disease and all sorts of stuff and then us learning how to convert different forms of energy which means that you know we can use steam for looms and we can also then ah look we can transport people and we can get the railways and suddenly that opens up so many possibilities and then you know technology now you know it, and it means that the progress at which you know it's an exponential almost isn't it so for ages sort of we were just traveling along this kind of low gradient but Mm. as soon all change just brings on new changes and new changes and new changes so now it's all so fast so if you think about it you know I, I remember thinking wow we're living in the best times ever when I was a kid look my parents used to you know live in a time of when you know you'd have to connect through an operator to make a phone call and I remember thinking what more can how much more advanced can we get when I'm a grown up you know will people be traveling to space or whatever but actually you know if you think about it we were playing pong or whatever or space invaders with blobs on a screen and now you look at cgi graphics and you know computer games and so on and 
the rate of progress is so fast. So weirdly, books, you know, if you put a mobile phone in the cookie book, there's this character, Susie, who's got an Instagram site, you know. And actually, I don't know, in a couple of generations time, Instagram might be old news like MySpace yeah, or, yeah. or whatever. And that, that's the thing. So all of those traditional books, they didn't have sort of that much tech in them. Because it wasn't like, so they actually seemed to work for quite a long time, you know. Um, but now, yeah, there's such a rapid rate of change that, you know, y- you do almost have to keep updating. It's funny because another book that I'm doing is um, Fearless Fairy Tales mm. and it's um, modern day fairy tales. So, for instance, there's a gingerbread kid and essentially, you know, his people are being persecuted because they're being eaten in fairy tale land. Um, you know, it's terrible ethnic cleansing. So he has to come across the sea in a boat to the UK where he gets bullied at schools. So it's sort of like... Um, if you want to discuss refugees with your child, you can. But if you just want a funny, quirky story, it sits quite well as a funny, quirky story. And there's one called Trumple Stillskin, which is about this crazy, power-obsessed, money-obsessed orange man. Um, and But, you know, but also the story of Rumpelstiltskin as well. And I, it was written um, maybe t- two years ago now, but then it hadn't been illustrated, um, so it couldn't come out like... Chris, uh, the Christmas after that and then last Christmas is a clash with the cookie books so now it's coming out next Christmas and it's quite interesting because I was thinking some of the stuff might be outdated by then you yeah, know yeah. because for instance there's um, uh, Jack and the Baked Beanstalk so where these giants will come down and live with the villagers and then the villagers vote to chop the beanstalk down and send the giants back. And it's a loose sort of term metaphor for Brexit, you know. Um, and Jack loses his best friend because his best friend is this giant. And and actually Brexit now happens in that time, you know. All bets are off when, you know. So things are sort of, yeah, I do feel, it feels like it could be that we're older, like you say, or it could just be that things do seem to be, I don't know, there seems to be a faster rate of change all round as society, technology, everything progresses. You know, mm. we live, we grew up in times where you couldn't, you know, arrange to meet someone out of this, uh, outside a station and then ring them on your mobile and go, where are you? If they're one minute late, you had to wait half an hour and you didn't know because you couldn't ring their landline. You know, we, it's kind of really weird when you think how old-fashioned That's why it's much better to deal up. with dystopian futures because, you know, Ridley Walker or The Road or anything like that, we're always reading it going, mm. and that's probably just around the corner. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. R- rather than set yeah. it in the present, set it in, yeah. into the uh, the apocalyptic future that we believe is just, just about to arrive. Exactly. What were the books when you were growing up in your house? Um, well, weirdly, my mum worked for a book company that's now defunct called Paultony Books. And we end. I think they supplied libraries or something, I'm not sure, because I was very young when she worked there, but we ended up with loads of books that were sort of seconds. So we had loads and loads of really good books um, that things might be a bit... I never know, knew what was wrong with them, particularly maybe the narrative was all wrong in the books that I read. Um, so we had loads of those, but then my dad was kind of quite academic and so lots and lots of sort of textbooks as well and encyclopedias, you know. He loved that sort of collecting <laughs> the Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever, you know, the latest fad 
was in in the news agent for a leather bound oh, sort of, one of those. general. You yeah. know, do you remember? They don't really have those now. Well, the ones where you buy issue one and get issue two free, and then eventually that's the, binder, the thing. But, and then yeah. suddenly, when you've got the whole set, you know everything about the human body or about space. Yeah, my or dad's about... still got all of the living countryside. Yes, exactly. That was one of them. Exactly. I'm those. always looking to. I've still got a few of them, but one day I'm going to buy all. The, Unexplained magazine, the unexplained, and that was that was you know for the boom time of yeah, uh, yeah. Bigfoot and UFOs and these wonderful drawings. Yes, yes, I have a yes. couple of volumes of those left. Oh. Flexi disc with voices from the dead. Yeah. All of that stuff. Oh, yeah. which is... You see, so and did he have shelves that he'd sort of just like put them all up on quite? It's almost like a hobby. Yeah. In a, in a way, and National Geographic he liked, and you know, um, so and. I loved, I've always sort of like, I used to love doing projects when school would set a project oh, yeah. and then looking through the National Geographic to see if there was some picture I could copy or, you know, that's what I liked sort of, in fact, Cookie, in the book, there's this big science project competition um, because I think, yeah, I'm obviously just living out my childhood to, through this book. Um, she actually goes on a quiz show. I went on Blockbusters when I was at school, and she goes on a quiz show called Brainbusters, which is very similar, and gets asked exactly so the that's same you questions. You and Steve Merchant that I got asked, and then it's terrible because um, the yeah she gets the question wrong that I got wrong that I'm still bitter and twisted oh, about to this very day. Um, when you were, what mm. were the books that you now have in your house though? So when you, as a parent, and you're uh, you go into the children, because I, I worked in oh, children's bookshop. Oh, for bookshop. the kids. Yeah. Yeah, about 30 years ago, I worked in a children's bookshop and there were certain books that I loved selling. There were certain things. I didn't like know the you worked in book a book, children's yeah. bookshop. Yeah, I they love to... the sort of um, Dav Pilkey books they love. Oh, was Dav Pilkey? Dav, know. like Dog Man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah that, they're great. Yeah, yeah those. Yes. And then they love um, the Treehouse series is a yep. good one. Have you encountered that? Yeah, seen yeah. those. Um, and uh, Wimpy Kid. Um, but then kind of they will read anything and everything. And I have to say my oldest one, he just loves reading these Pokedex manuals of Pokemon characters. Uh, yeah. No, he I must be on normal. the spectrum. No, I think that's... I <laughs> always loved... He over them. They're like telephone directories and he's just addicted to looking at them and telling me these really obscure facts that I really don't want to know about Pokemon characters. But um, I think that's the same as when I was growing up. It was the, those books which had cross-sections through... I love different those. Yeah. And oh, that, that man, was the I same thing those. where you would become obsessive and you would look over... Oh, it's my favourite book. This one's really good. It's got, it's got an aircraft carrier... And for some reason, I was always interested in the domestic arrangements, most of all. Oh. I was kind of fascinated where the kitchen was and where they might relax in the telly room or whatever. Yeah, no, I'm Not quite... Much more than where the big draw, planes were. No, I would actually draw my own cross-sectional, like, houses. Oh, I and loved so, doing I, that. Yeah, like, with loads of little details and put the pot plants in and, like, I loved all that stuff. Um, I loved really detailed little pictures. Do you remember those Osborne books? Oh, I still love the Osborne oh, books. I, I loved the Osborne book of Ancient Rome. Was like my oh, favourite book. That was my favourite. And I, I looked for it I to think get I've the heard kids. Ancient Greece, maybe. Oh, did you? Yeah, I don't know why. I'm trying to controversial. think. But I tried to find that same one um, for, and I looked on, um, you know, Amazon at the used books and everything. I can't find it anywhere, and it's not in print today in the same form. They have like Osborne. 
book to ancient Rome, but it's not that same one that I remember with the yellow cover and with the really detailed pictures. Yeah. Um, and the sort of little facts and really interesting thing. I was I just thought ancient Rome was amazing. How they had like hypercourse heating systems. Yeah, that was like, my favourite. Like, oh my god, so through section, yeah. yeah, and the Roman baths with like the caldarium, the tapidarium, and all all of that stuff. So they were just so ahead of their time. Yeah. I think they might be going coming back though because they brought things back like the one of the ghost books. They used to do these wonderful ones. There was what Osborne Book of Werewolves and Ghouls and Vampires ah. and all manner of these things. And Reese Shearsmith recently wrote an introduction to Re- so right. people have loved that so much yes. that I think they'll also start to bring back the history ones. Yeah. Oh, that would be good. That would be really good because they had the big ones as well with the little sort of pictures round the edges that you could yeah. find in the main picture for younger kids. Um, which were good as well. But, yeah, I love that sort of detail. I guess Where's Wally has sort of taken a bit of that detail. Yeah, it's probably thing, kind it's of not, inspired. It's but, not quite the But same. I do think kids like that bit of being able to say, hey, Mum, did you know that? Yeah, 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 all the time. And half the time I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, the stuff that they come out with, I was like, really? It's funny, and they remember the minutia, don't they? And that's the thing, because we don't. We really don't know, and it's quite handy, because sometimes when I forget things, I'll ask them and they'll know. Like, do you know where I put my keys or whatever? And they know. It's like, wow, this is good. It's lovely when they get to the age where they can sort of be give back a bit. You know, here, put this in the bin for me. Pass me the remote control. Well, I think, yeah, those, those bits of when you that stage now. are surprised at how... I was telling someone the other day about something where, where my son, he, must, he was only a little bit over two years old, mm. I think, at the time, when I turned 40. And um, one day my wife said to me, uh, um, what do you want to have for your birthday tea? I said, oh, anything, I don't really care. She went, no, 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 you've got to have something. Yeah, so I, I said, no, well, yeah, I don't mind. It'd just be nice to all be together. She went, no. And she eventually got crushed in. What do you <laughs> want for your birthday? And so I turned to my son and I said, what should I have for my birthday tea? And he just went, a Fish telescope. <laughs> and, of course, I realised that he, that was, and I said, that doesn't sound very delicious. And he went, it is a telescope. <laughs> and, of course, he'd given away the big surprise birthday present Aww. I was having. But afterwards, my wife said, what I don't understand, though, is I never told him. So, you know, even at that yeah, age when they're picking up that, yes, that, yes. that in that same way that you know you yeah, can't ever yeah. take your child secretly out of school to go and do something else oh, no, and pretend no, they're no. ill because they'll blab to everyone. There's no way the yeah. secret zoo trip. They didn't really have, you know, no, bad exactly. cold. Yeah, you can't do a holiday out of term time, yeah. can you? You have to pay ten times the price or whatever. No, it's, it's funny. Um, but, yeah, so... And basically, I liked, yeah, I think books that gave a bit more than just a narrative, which is what I've tried to do here. So there is an appendix in the back that's kind of got the experiments and bits and pieces from within the book stuffed in the back. And then there's sort of all those comic strip pictures throughout the book where, um, you know, it sort of takes the story to another level or off on an absurd Mm. tangent. Um, And then there's sort of all the... Things like it's got things like the electromagnetic spectrum in there and sort of lots of other bits and pieces because I always think that, you know, they won't understand what that is, but it's the sort of thing that I would have liked looking at. Oh, wow, so this weird thing has all the colours of the rainbow there and then like microwaves and UV and, you know, it starts sinking and you start Mm. understanding what the concept is about. You don't have to totally get it, but the earlier, you know, these things are seeded in your mind, they can spark curiosity and all my years on Blue Peter really 
it did teach me that kids, if you can spark something within them in the primary years, they take that with them mm. for life. And we all know now as adults that we're just a product of our upbringing. You watch that, you know, 7-Up documentary series and they're at 56 yeah. now, but man, they were done at seven, weren't they? Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't think there's enough importance put on the fact that really, if we can just get everyone right in the primary years, then the future is so bright. If we get these altruistic children that have the right values and that want to give back mm. to society, you know, help each other rather than just helping themselves, then actually, you know, there is a hope for this planet. But I just still don't think we've quite got the importance of those formative years, really. Um, I actually think in schools there should be sort of, you know, it's compulsory to do reading and writing and maths. And I think it should be compulsory to just sort of be taught things about the bigger picture. Mm. You know, refugees, climate change, poverty, what taxes do, everything. So... I think you know I get more of that works. now. I, I really think, yeah. do. And I and they really are better at it than us. If yeah. you look at these climate kids, you know, getting my, you know, own, I don't know, husband to put a carrier bag in recycling rather than the normal bin and actually don't get a carrier bag, just take a bag for life and all of that stuff. You know, when you've done a lifetime of living your life one way, you're so conditioned you know, it's hard to sort of change those terrible mm. habits. You know, it's hard for a meat eater to become a vegetarian. But a kid just starting out on the path of life, if they're brought up as a vegetarian, they won't want meat really mm. when they're older. Um, so, yeah, I think the answer is with them. I believe I, I the children are our future. That. Teach them we'll well. make a jingle or even and a let song. let them lead the way. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, yeah, I, and I know it's probably not, but one one Christmas holiday, every time my son left his light on, I would just go, ah, Greta Thunberg would not be best pleased. And he goes, oh, have I left the light on? And I know it's probably not the right way, yeah, but, yeah. but it's like he knew that it was part of the whole kind of joke of like, oh yeah, I do have to remember that sometimes I lecture That's you, Dad, me and my about how you know when they say those things, like they go, yeah, it's so unfair. Why is it us who has to do everything when you lot all yeah, ruined it? Screwed it up well, for well, us. We haven't got very much longer, so it doesn't matter for yeah. us. Dude, Whereas so you, you might can have reap the benefits exactly. Um, do you think he's going to grow up to be a altruistic, sharing, caring kind of guy? I, you know what? I never like to predict or have any idea. I, yeah. I, I watch his behaviour and I'm generally pleased with it. Good. And he, I notice him picking up on Does he have your the... values, do you think? I think it's interesting the different ways that they pick things up. Right. And I think there's a way that you don't, you're not necessarily lecturing very slight things that are picked up yeah. become, uh, you know, yeah, they sort of go, oh, why are they there? doing yeah. that? Like, you know, it, it, sometimes telling off his friends for using words that, you know, would yeah, be yeah. inappropriate or whatever. Yes, yes. But equally, I don't care about the fact that, like, he's seen me do shows, he's heard me swear, he's seen Mark Steele swear, yeah. he's seen all that kind of thing. Yeah. And that hasn't made him a particularly sweary kid. If no. anything, by that bit of uh, just seeing it out there, makes you go, oh, it's not, it's just a thing that happens. Yes. And you don't then go and do well, it in the school year. Whereas when it, it becomes banned, yeah. like, you know, from a very early age, if he came to music festivals with me, you know, he'd just pick up on different yeah, bits yeah, and yeah. pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And children do that all the time. No, and there's, and there's no, and I think rather than make it this sacred thing, Alexi Sell talks about in in uh, I think the first volume of his, it's the first volume of, I think in the first volume of uh, of his autobiography, uh, he um, he talks about the first time that he swore in front of his mum, thinking he was being really. Cool. 
cool. And then what she did was basically go, fucking Alexi, little fucking fuck. Yeah, and yeah. then and then she, he said it was terrible. She never stopped swearing in front of me. And when I was with my friend, she just swear the whole time. <laughs> it went absolutely back to front in the way that he'd hoped. Yeah. That's, you see, that's what we've got to do then. Got to do, yeah, the other way so that they're just so sick of it. I mean, I do think that that sort of technique does work. My my older son is always telling us off for swearing when he catches us at it. But then he also loves repeating it. But in context, like I saw on my friend had a fridge magnet. It said fucking on saying a fridge magnet. But he loved saying it and saying it quite slowly and relishing it, knowing that that's a context in which he can say it and sort of get away with it. Mm. Um, so, oh, yeah. yeah, you're allowed to, if it's yeah. reportage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, Mum, Dad, yeah. I'm going to have to give you a report on yeah, yeah. all the swearing Telling I've heard today. Else. It's going to take quite a while. Yeah. There's been some pretty terrible swearing. Can I just um, repeat what that fridge magnet said to you just so that it sinks in? But, um, yeah, so they get to a stage where they're quite grown up about it. Yeah. Don't they? Which is which is rather nice. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so many, as you said as well, by placing those words in terms of scientific phrases as well and scientific terminology, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean you have some deep understanding, but it does mean that these are not words with an incredible burden behind. Oh, what's yeah. that? Yeah, so I think exactly. it was Simon Mayer. Was it was his first book called is it itch? I'm, I'm trying to remember now. And it's a kind of adventure involving the periodic table. And one of the reasons that he went off and, and wrote the book was his son. I'm not sure what age he was. I think his son would have been like 10 or 11. And yeah. they were doing homework. And his and his son said, hey, Dad, do you know what the four forces of the universe are? And Simon Mayer went, oh, God. And I suddenly realised I didn't. Here yeah, I was, yeah. a grown-up, and he didn't know strong force, weak force, yeah, yeah. electromagnetic and gravity, right? Yeah, and it was yeah. like, and he went, oh, I need to do some... Some learning. research. So yeah. why not write a book that involves me having to learn these things yes. as well? And then and then last year, I think partly because I didn't have any kind of there wasn't as much research that I had to do for other things. Whereas this right. year I'm now working on a new book. I've kind of yeah, got yeah, a stack yeah. of science books I'm trying to understand different ideas about and so novels have gone on that. But I think there is because there's a line between going not, you feel it very immediately, the fact that you've learnt by going, I have read a book of uh, information and the information has gone in. And now, and, and it feels yes. uh, transparent, the fact you've just... Whereas I think with a novel sometimes, as you're going through it, you just think, oh, I'm just having a romp, I'm having an adventure, you know, ah, whichever dystopian And then at yeah. the end of it, later on, you can quite often go, oh, that has... You know, in terms of the way that it can increase, I think sometimes just cultural knowledge. Yes, And I think sometimes true. kind of empathetic knowledge as well. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, no, that is massively important. I mean, I remember, like, I, for ages I hadn't read any sort of factual books. And then I read... Uh, it's Carlo Rovelli's like second book. Oh, one I was going about... to mention that's what I was watching last night. There's a there's a great Royal Institution lecture. Oh. Oh, his his book all about time, yes. which is such. Have you read that one? Yes, I, that's the one I'm talking and, and about. And it's uh, God, it's I've forgotten the name the of it. Beautiful loop theory stuff. No, that that the, the one I'm thinking. There is actually there is some in there, but, but I think I think I know the one you're meaning, and that and that's not the one I'm thinking. Order okay. of time, right? Which is quite a brief one. And which has the fascinating thing, which I just never realised, that there's only one equation in science which time is required. And you go, what? And it just everything else is totally relevant yeah, without it's... the passage of time or the passing of time. Yeah, yeah, it would work yeah. anywhere. And yeah, that, yeah. to me, is quite 
that's a revelatory moment. Yes. Because we see the world constantly as the passing of time of from one state to another. And then you go, oh, that's not, no, these equations and this understanding of the universe does not require time. Yeah, that is, you see, I love having those sort of... Oh, there we are. Reality is not what it seems. That's the one you're oh, thinking of, isn't yes, it? Order of time right. is the... Uh, but those sort of like, oh, you know, that's changed my thinking on things. Moments are really good. And I kind of missed all that. And also I got to the point where I was like, my brain is going really rusty in that I keep having to reread things and go, yeah. And like, you know, because it's like you have to keep oiling the machine, don't yeah. you? And I think then that was quite a switching point, um, you know. And, I, you know, because you can read books that are sort of a bit sciencey or a bit theories on things or, you know, I don't know, just or people's theories on things or, I don't know, just sort of more slight, like, populist, like, I don't know, the man who mistook his wife for a hat. Or, oh, I you love know, Oliver oh, Sacks. Yeah. That or, last you know, collection of his essays, River, Rivers of Consciousness, I think it is. Yes. So I think they're all taken from uh, the um, various different kind of New, New York review of books and yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. And, and, and things like that. And he wrote so beautifully. And they're, they're all about things like William James and uh, and Darwin. and. But um, what I mean is that's much more accessible, sort of. So I, in that time of reading novels and stuff, that would have been sort of digestible for me. Whereas the, I felt when I read, um, like, Carlo Rovelli's book, like, oh, my God, like, all of this stuff is almost slipping out of my brain. I, I almost need to, you know, I feel like I haven't done this sort of stuff for so long and I sort of it's kind of sad to me mm. you know and I think I just thought oh, I crave a bit of knowledge now and also I was finding you know sometimes you can find situations where you're just so sort of out of your depth or like oh you know and I don't know but maybe it's the fact that when I came out of uni or studying you know, nothing sort of require. you know, the work you do does require you to sort of use your brain and, and then suddenly going into parenthood, even more so that I felt like, oh, my gosh, I'm so removed now mm. from putting anything back in my brain. Um, so whereas kind of you've always had to be using your brain through your work. I think I found alibis. I think I found more and more projects where I go, this means I can count reading as work. Ah, yeah. that's clever. That's right. Ah, what's your most good. two in for the terms price of, of one? You mentioned Carlo Rovelli. <laughs> Is there anyone else recently that you've read in terms of that kind of non-fiction world or scientific world that you particularly um. enjoyed? I've got to say, by the way, Antonio Damasio's last—I don't know if it was his last book or recent book—which is all about. Um, the importance of kind of feelings and emotion in the development of of us as a creature and right. other creatures as well. And looking at that, and it's a it's a really interesting book on on the that. on the because at that bit where you go, I was just reading, I was, and I suddenly had that moment of thinking. He was, he was reading about writing about grief, archaeological evidence of grief. I thought, isn't it strange to think that that suddenly there's a moment in the universe where something dies and a creature feels sad. Yeah. At the loss, yeah, and yeah. that 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 emotional experience has not existed in the universe until that, that point. moment the first in time. Person, the first thing, rather the first whatever it was that felt yeah. loss at death. Yeah, because this is, and that's kind of like with all emotion, because we were just sort of single-celled, you know, creatures once. It's weird to think all of the, that stuff, and now we've made emotion get so complex with our own sort of constructs of 
you know, material goods and companies mm. and business and all that stuff, which is all in our heads, kind of. It only exists because we all believe in it. And we've made sort of emotion be dependent on what we have, which isn't such a real emotion, because like you're saying, grief is real emotion. It's sort of almost transient. Uh, and I find that mental, that will there be sort of... It, there is... It's feasible. There could be new emotions that we almost create as we're getting more and more complicated um, as a society. But, like, I've been reading a lot of sort of things to do with consumerism and, you know, the environment and can capitalism coexist with having a planet that is sustainable. Mm. And um, and I've just got so many things that I should read, but I just sort of feel that I don't have time to read because between the hours of nine and three, I'm trying to write books and fit everything else in. Um, I can't but, read anyone else's book. I'm trying to write my own. Yes. That's, that's uh, how podcast works. Have you heard that podcast? No, I've been recording the bloody things for ages. Yeah. I mean, when, where do you get time to do it all? It's, it's just, I don't know. I think parenthood has made everything go on a back burner. But then there'll be a point where their homework comes back and you think, don't you worry, I'm going to have a go at this. I like doing my son's maths homework. I really enjoy it. I'm just terrible at... Me and Charlie were saying the other day that, like, you know, this is year seven... uh, Year seven? This is a seven-year-old's maths homework. And, you know, I'm having to double, you know, check my own additional... You know, it's just straight calculations, essentially. But that's how rusty I feel my mind Yeah, but once you do it, it only takes a couple of goes. I have that all the time. Each new bit of maths he does, I'm like, oh, hang on, how? And then you go, yeah. oh, it's like there. long division and things. Why like did that? it take so long to fire that up again? Yeah. We better. Um, thank you very much for coming in. Uh, pleasure. Cookie and the most annoying boy in the world by Connie Huck is now available in uh, paperback. Hopefully, Josie Long will be back with us uh, soon. And uh, thanks very much for listening. Go to cosmicshambles.com to also find various kind of uh, videos and blog posts about scientific ideas, cultural things, all, all manner of stuff. And uh, go to patreon.com if you'd like to uh, give us some money, please. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. Thanks to our Patreons. Patreon.com slash bookshambles. Back next week with another new episode. Claudia Hammond from Radio 4's All in the Mind will be our guest next week. Looking forward to that one. Until then, have a great week. Bye. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. For more podcasts, live events, documentaries, and lots of other things uh, to uh, feed your mind or give your mind indigestion, sometimes make your mind physically sick, then go to cosmicshambles.com.